Hello and welcome to Starts and Grafts. I'm Conor Gafog and each week I'm joined by an emerging artist to discuss the highs and lows of forging a creative career amidst a global pandemic. My guest this week is Alice Eckland, a Cardiff-based director who has a particular interest in developing new and exciting bilingual work. Just over a year ago she founded Bolshi, a Welsh creative collective led by women for women and has been incredibly busy over the past few months. Alice, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Kind of enjoying these brighter days that we've got yes, at the moment. Yes, for sure. My office space is like right in front of a window, so it's always a lot nicer when, even if you're working long days, that it's still it's still light and it's not too sort of groggy outside. Whereabouts are you recording from today? Um, So I'm actually in my my home office space which is basically just a desk in my bedroom um (laughs) but uh i'm in cardiff in riverside get to watch the outside from my office space which is nice hoping to get out a little bit more soon (laughs) lovely i think are you guys a little bit further ahead of us in wales in terms of going back to a sense of normality you've got a few more steps in place yeah i think um for the first time um wales seems to be um, a little bit (laughs) further ahead so i know that they've sort of opened a few more things but in terms of like hairdressers and stuff like that but i think in terms of like theatre and actually getting back to work I think that's still very much questionable about whether that's going to happen anytime soon I do know of a few people especially like universities and and like the drama school and stuff that they seem to have started to sort of have more things in person and you know there's R&Ds happening Mm. and stuff like that but in terms of like actually opening spaces I think there's still a long way to go for that unfortunately I mean, the hairdressing thing is is a key one at the moment. I mean, every time we take a screenshot for this podcast, my hair just gets bigger and bigger (laughs) to the point where if it carries on, it's going to take up the whole screen. Um, But yeah, Alice, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am a freelance theatre director and dramaturg predominantly. I'm sort of, I've been playing around with the idea of being a multidisciplinary artist more so now than saying I'm this and this and this just from with my with my company Bolshe we ran a workshop with um, an amazing creative called Dr Sita Thomas and she ran it all about sort of developing your multidisciplinary practice she's like just tell people you're a multidisciplinary artist you know it sounds so much better than reeling off your whole CV and I was like that sounds so much better but in all fairness the only reason I think I can say that now and rather than just say you know I'm, I'm a dramaturg or a director is because this last year I've had to figure out other things to do I think similarly to, to everyone else I know those uh, posters that said you know retrain and become something else was really irritating for people in the arts but Some of us actually have had to do that in order to, you know, survive and and get work and get money. So, Mm. um, yeah, I work predominantly in sort of bilingual theatre. I've stayed in Wales for my whole career so far, having not sort of moved to London or another city. But um, so a lot of the stuff I make is bilingual Welsh and English. It's a lot of new writing, a lot of fringe stuff. 
but I'm currently trying to break into musical theatre. It's like a huge goal of mine. So I'm trying to break into it now, but uh, we'll see what happens. Amazing. I think anyone that's been listening to the podcast will know that I'm definitely a huge musical theatre fan. <laughs> Let's just unpack that a little bit then. Um, dramaturg and director, what are the differences and what do both kind of entail? Particularly dramaturg, it's a difficult kind of term to get your head around. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what's really great about the two of them is they go hand in hand um, really nicely because it's quite often, I think, especially on um, on new writing or sort of adaptations, your director will tend to do quite a bit of dramaturgy anyway. Mm. Um, it sort of started um, a couple of years ago, but properly um, at the beginning of last year that I started doing more dramaturgy where um, I was brought on for a digital project when the pandemic started to basically work with, I think it was three Welsh writers on three brand new digital Welsh projects for Theatre Gennad Lethal Cymru, which is the Welsh medium national theatre Wales. And um, I basically just got to sort of read the script, um, figure out their journey, figure out their structure, just ask all of the questions and hoping to get answers or get, you know, the writers to ask the questions of what does their work mean and why now? Why is it, you know, why is this the piece that they want to put out? Especially at the start of a pandemic, the um, the pieces were reflective, I think, of a little bit of what was going on or they were inspired by what was going on. So we had... Um, a piece about somebody learning how to speak Welsh during lockdown. There was, you know, relationships in lockdown. There was one about an affair in lockdown and how that worked, which is really exciting. But I think what I find really great about, especially dramaturgy in the Welsh language is, you know, I think a lot of especially new Welsh writers or Welsh speaking writers then sure. worry about like the correctness of the Welsh and making sure that it, you know, fits a certain standard. But what I really like is that there's this sort of new wave of writers now that are pushing their stories more than their language. And I think that's really important because I came from a non-Welsh speaking family and I'm the only really sort of person that speaks Welsh in my family. Oh, is that all self-taught then? Uh, well, through school then. Um, so I sort of went to Welsh nursery and then primary school, then high school and then university in Welsh as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I have my own way of speaking Welsh. There's other people who have their own ways of speaking Welsh. And I feel like there shouldn't be sort of a standard to be able to say you're a Welsh speaker or you're a certain kind of Welsh speaker. So that's been like one of my favourite things about being um, sort of a dramaturg, especially on newer writing. Um, I got the chance to work with an amazing new writer called Malian Rees. She's an actress as well. And um, her piece was called Bratiaith, which in English means, um, I think it's like slang. It's effectively like the term for slang sure. or sort of like the dialect of your home then in a sort of like slang way then. Um, and it was all about sort of her Welsh identity and um, her mixed heritage and what that meant to be someone who was Welsh speaking as well. And I just think there's so much more exciting stuff to come from the Welsh language than, you know, what, than what has been. I think that in terms of <laughs> not to say that the stuff ha that has been hasn't been great. It's just I think the, the new wave of stuff is becoming really, really, really exciting in terms of pushing the form and pushing the language a little bit further. And then in terms of uh, working as a director, I before the pandemic sort of happened I think my my experience as a sort of lead director on things was a little bit smaller than what it is now um surprisingly but um this last year has allowed me to sort of work on a lot more things than I probably would have before so I've done a lot of radio dramas I've done audio dramas and getting to work on pieces that I never would have dreamed of working on before um sort of COVID happened so I was in that sort of position of before the pandemic hit that it was supposed to be the busiest year that I'd had in my career so far I've Classic. only really been sort of working professionally since 
2018. So this year, well, last year, then it sort of started, and you know, I was going to go to the Fringe with the show um, as an assistant director. I was going to work with Theatre Gunnedly for Cymru as an assistant director on like some really lovely projects, and then obviously March happened, and they all disappeared. Um, so it was very much a time of okay, that's gone. What am I going to do now? Yeah. And Obviously, I took some time to have a cry and get over it. (laughs) Um, Like many others. Yes, exactly. But from a financial point of view, you know, as someone who'd only been working a short amount of time, I hadn't submitted a tax return before, so I didn't have the funding. Did you get caught out by that? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I definitely didn't have any sort of support Mm. funding wise. There was, you know, a few small grants and stuff happening in Wales to help people out. But, you know, they were first come, first serve, or they were a needs-based basis. And, you know, I, I live with my partner and we were just sort of like, okay, you're on temporary furlough. I have nothing. What are we going to do? And Theatre Gunnard Lathal were um, really lovely and they sort of redid my contract to give me that work as a dramaturg. So the work I would have done as the assistant then became this dramaturgy work, which was really great. And then I don't know how it happened, but I just got really sort of really blessed to get some really nice work over the year I did a few R&Ds I worked on quite a lot of new writing um, all digital and I think everyone's getting to the point now where digital work is definitely not what we want to be doing anymore (laughs) you know it's really wonderful I think I heard someone on your podcast before sort of say that you know it's like a taste of something that you want more of and I totally agree yes exactly 100% agree I wanted to talk about, um, you mentioned audio plays there, and I wanted to talk about a specific project that I've been able to have a look into beforehand, which was um, Ashes to Ashes, Funk to Funky, which was kind of like a radio piece, I think, that you did back in, it was before the pandemic, wasn't it? Kind of late 2019? Yeah, just before. So what I was wondering about that is, these were kind of projects that you were already working on, that for a lot of people have been ways that they've been forced into working during the pandemic. So did you feel that you were kind of not prepared, but kind of one step ahead when adapting to digital work over the last 12 months because you'd done that particular project? Um, so that with that project, that was with... Um, so there's an amazing company that's based between Cardiff and London called Chippy Lane Productions. and name. Yeah, it's fab. Um, <laughs> Um, so Becca Hammond, who is uh, who sort of runs that company, then she I think it was February. It was just before the pandemic that we actually recorded that. It was February last year, oh, okay. and yeah, it was. So they've run a podcast. I think that was the second season. And basically, what they do is they give opportunities to Welsh writers or Welsh and Wales based writers to write a sort of short play or a short monologue. I think it's mostly monologues that then got recorded for this podcast. And it was, you know, it was a really wonderful opportunity to get a chance to work with. So Martha Reed, the writer, was Welsh and also the actress Eliane was um, Welsh as well. And it was just lovely to sort of get to sort of do work like that. But, you know, for me, it was like, oh, this is something else that's really exciting. You know, it's not something I get to do every day. And then obviously now everyone's just like, okay, audio plays, that's the way forward. It's easier. You know, you don't have to worry about the filming and stuff like that. And Mm. I think, yeah, it definitely helped sort of going into this thinking, well, I, you know, I've done something like that before in terms of directing then rather than producing. Um, But I think it was interesting having done that, not going into the pandemic and immediately thinking, okay, audio plays is how it's going to start. I think a lot of people started with, we need to film things. We need to film things on Zoom. We need to film things on Skype, you know, film things on our iPhones and stuff like that. I think it wasn't until sort of near the end of last year Mm. that I actually did more 
sort of stuff with audio plays. I think I did one in the summer, but it was definitely more in the autumn when I did some work with the Sherman. What's it like directing something which takes away the visuals and is relied completely on on the audio and, you know, working with the actor? How do you approach that? It was, um, it's extremely difficult. So I've I've had two very different opportunities to do it. So I did, um, I worked with a company called Kick It Down Productions, um, who sort of became a company during the pandemic. And um, I got to co-direct with, she's effectively like my sister-in-law. We both uh, work as directors and she's in London and I'm in Cardiff. And then uh, it was with Martha Reed again, who I did the first Chippy Lane podcast with. And uh, this wonderful actress called uh, Nadia Wenabuyayan. And all of us were in different parts of the UK. So basically what we did was uh, myself and Gwenan, uh, the other co-director then, uh, we had a Zoom and talked about how we wanted to approach it as co-directors, not being in the same place. And then had a Zoom with Nadia to effectively rehearse it. So she was just on Zoom and then we were just watching her read into a microphone and just trying to give notes as much as we could. Because obviously with Zoom or with any kind of recording thing, the audio tends to come out in mono. It's never really good quality. so we were just trying to figure out, okay, is this going to sound right? You know, and just trying to work on sort of tones rather than textures because we couldn't figure that out really as much. And then it just got to a point where we, we just yeah, did everything yeah, remotely. Yeah. So Nadia would record a take, send it to us. We'd send her notes back and then she'd send us another take. And it was about the same as that for about a month. Um, and we were also working with a sound designer, uh, Nicola Chang, and she was sort of sending us some sounds to try and figure out if we would be happy with them working over the text. And then it took a while for them both to actually marry together because they hadn't been put together yet. And it was it was a really weird experience. But that particular piece um, has done really, really well. It's like critically done really well. It's had a couple of five star reviews for it from like London pub theatres. So to be able to have achieved something like that, where all of us were in completely different places in the UK, busy with other things, whether it was, you know, other jobs, other projects, or just dealing with life in a pandemic, to get to sort of have something like that happen was really, really great. I think it says a lot for the ways we collaborate moving forward. Yeah. I think people will approach collaboration a lot differently. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that's definitely come out of this is that, you know, there's a lot more focus on, okay, does this have to be in person? Does this meeting actually have to happen in person? Does it have to be a Zoom call or can it be a phone call? Does it have to be a phone call or can it be an email? And I think it's also sort of allowed people, like you said, to just collaborate from anywhere. I was sort of really, really grateful. Uh, It was probably about a year ago, I think it is coming up to almost exactly a year, that obviously people went straight to social media, went straight to Twitter to sort of, whether it was ask for help or um, offer support. There was a lot of people offering support to write for grant funding or, you know, for any kind of funding to help people out. Um, But one thing that did come from it was um, there's a director, musical theatre director called Kate Gollidge, who put a tweet out and basically said any emerging directors who want to have a space to talk, space to learn, you know, just a space to feel connected. Does anyone think that would be a good idea? And obviously there was a lot of us that were like, yes, please, I need somewhere. (laughs) There was a queue. (laughs) Yes. And I remember the first meeting, it was like three o'clock on a Monday afternoon or something like that, uh, sort of height of the first few weeks of lockdown. And there was on Zoom, there must have been about four, three or four pages full of people. And it was just these young directors from all over the UK and beyond. I think we had people from like America and Hong Kong in there in the first few months. 
And uh, at the time, it was her, Kate Gollidge and Derek Bond, and they were running these weekly sessions where directors would just come together, emerging directors, to learn from other people. You know, they'd bring in new people and we'd learn um, from them. And it's a year on and we've already had like our 50th meeting together. It's still happening every single week. Amazing. That's incredible. It's sort of gone down to about a core team of like 20 of us now that have properly stuck it out. But, you know, we've all just become like lifelong friends now from this because we've seen each other grow over the years. So I know that when I first went there and, you know, you're introducing yourself to people you've never met and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm Alice. I'm a a theatre director or, you know, I'm emerging, I think. Um, But, you know, now we're all talking about, I've applied for this associate job, I've applied for this job and seeing people get incredible opportunities just based on, you know, the confidence that they've gained from having this sort of peer led group, which is really, really wonderful. What a better time to make those new connections, though, than through what's been a roller coaster period. But we've just talked about um, digital work. I've no doubt that you've missed live theatre massively. That is something that you've been working in for probably since you started pursuing this as a career. Should we talk a bit, a little bit about Constellations? Yeah, of course. So as an emerging director, there's not masses of opportunity to direct, you know, fully direct your own work unless you sort of put it on yourself or, um, you know, there's an opportunity that comes up in a theatre to do it sort of on a more grassroots or fringe level. So it was the start of 2019 and across the UK, there's a festival called the British One Acts Festival. Mm. And um, in uh, South Wales, there's a there's an organisation called the Glamorgan Drama League. And they did the uh, sort of like South Wales Glamorgan uh, leg of it. Um, and it's in three stages. You sure. should have a regional and then a national in terms of like Wales or England, Scotland, Ireland. And then it goes to a fully national sort of British level. And I just sort of looked at it and I thought, okay, I've got to pay something like £25 to put a play in that has to be under an hour. And, you know, it can be whatever you want it to be as long as you can get the rights. And uh, I'd read Constellations and I just knew that I wanted to put it on. And it was the opportunity to do it where I knew that I'd get to sort of explore this play. I'd get to, you know, obviously budget wise, I didn't get to do exactly what I wanted, but I got to sort of look at this play and sort of do what I wanted with it without worrying too much about the audience side of it and having to make a profit or having to you know get it out there for those reasons it was mainly just an opportunity to play the and commercial is such a huge pressure though isn't it for directors in particular massively. you know it can really determine what projects you then go on to do in future doesn't it I suppose yeah and I think at the time because I'd sort of just come off my first like assisting job and I'd sort of started observing in people's rehearsal rooms and I just wanted to get back to doing something um I was still working as a temp in an office at the time and I was like I just need to do something to do with theatre I need to just get my teeth into something so it was myself and a couple of friends of mine Kim and Andrew and then I had my own assistant because I knew that I just wanted support through it and um I'd learned so much of my first job I was like I have to have an assistant to just even if it's just to start that process of learning what that's like and that was in the January and the first sort of leg of it was in uh, March or April time where basically because it's for a festival there's festival rules and there's uh, regulations that you have to fit in so you have like 15 minutes to set up your set you've got an hour to do your tech and that's it and we'd never run the piece with the set the set was made from like these steel frames with uh, sort of light bulbs that made it look like constellations and that And because they were built for a stage, we'd never 
put the piece and those together because I never had the opportunity to do that. You know, amateur theatre or community theatre is is very difficult to get a space for free. So during that tech, I was sort of walked in and I had about 75 lighting cues and I was like, I need to cut these right now. And it was just making those hard decisions that you'd normally do in, you know, in a tech space that you'd have, you know, three days to do or, you know, four weeks to do on a, on a massive production. And I had about four minutes. And I was like, OK, this is gone. This is gone. I'm just going to have everything really simple and just hope for the best. And it was myself, my partner and um, my partner's brother. And we were all in the tech box just going, okay, this is going to happen. It's going to be what it is. And whatever it is, it'll be fun. Whatever happens, it'll be fun. And I was operating the, um, I think I was operating some of the lights on that particular one. That's the thing. You don't just get to sit back and enjoy it, do you, as a director? No, (laughs) not at all. You're still having to kind of ensure that some sort of technical aspect is going ahead and that's going smoothly. You're not able to just sit back and enjoy after what's probably been an intense rehearsal period. Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, I'm, I, well, I'm not going to say I'm a control freak. I think that might be a little <laughs> bit too uh, too strong, but it's probably more or less that. Because I'd never sort of seen them together and everything was sort of decided a little bit more last minute with that, with the time constraints and stuff, I just had to sort of make sure that everything went well and everything went right. And then we watched it and I saw it happen. And I was like, that was everything that I wanted it to be. And it was, you know, it wasn't seamless, but you know, the the lights went with the show for the first time I'd ever seen that happen. And we were really, really fortunate and actually won that regional round. And we were going to go up to Theatre Cloyd in in Mould to do the Welsh round, which was really great. You know, it was an opportunity to do the show again, the theatre that I love. Um, So we got to do it in the studio in Theatre Cloyd. And we were really fortunate to win that round as well. Um, which I didn't think was going to happen. Uh, no matter, I think, how confident you are as a director or in your piece, especially in a competitive level, it's, you know, you don't want to go in sort of thinking, oh, I'm definitely going to win this because you never know what's going to happen. It's also kind of not, it's not a motivation, is it, as an artist to be winning awards? No. Just being able to create the work in a lot of circumstances feels like, feels like a privilege for quite a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly what it was. I mean, I was, you know, a young creative. I mean, I still am. It was only two years ago. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, we've not <laughs> but, aged that you know, much. It was... It's been a long year. <laughs> no, it feels like a long year. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was my first sort of, like I directed before. I directed in university and I'd done sort of small, very small scale things and community theatre things. But it was the first thing that I sort of looked at and said, I've done this and it, you know, somebody's told me that it's good. You know, it, it's won something mm. and that's really exciting to me. And to keep doing that on, you know, even though it was through our competition, to keep doing it was an absolute privilege, like massively. And to get where we got to and to get to perform it in Harrogate, you know, of all places, to get to go somewhere as beautiful as Harrogate Stunning. and do it in this massive, like, old theatre. You know, they took us on this, like, mini tour of the theatre and showed us everything. I was just like, oh, my God, my tiny little play that was basically burst out of a church community hall in, you know, somewhere in Cardiff is now on this huge stage in Harrogate. Did you shed a tear at any point when you first saw it? Oh, massively, massively. I remember the first time I saw it in... So the first time we did it was in Tonnerreville in um, in the Ronda. And just seeing it all come together, I was like, this is this is amazing. And, you know, I think that's definitely something that I've missed from, from this last year 
is it's that feeling of tech when you know you hear the bass line of the music the underscore and it's you know it's always like the the bass amplifier like vibrates the room and it's um, especially if you're working on something dark which is usually what I end up working on um <laughs> but you know just just that feeling of when you're sat sort of in a room and it's you know that press night feeling everyone has talked about is missing that press night feeling and the nerves and the you know that sort of pit of your stomach feeling of just being around everyone watching something for the first time you don't quite get that when you're sat in your pajamas on your sofa so so for sure like it's definitely something that I've that I've missed but yeah we you know we got to the British final um and we didn't win but you know I felt like I'd won just getting there anyway there was nowhere else to go it was simply just somebody saying okay, yeah, you've won, which would have been great. Don't get me wrong. But like you said, going through those different steps in the process and winning awards along the way, that must have been extremely encouraging as a young emerging creative that I'm not making assumptions, but is probably questioning at certain points whether they made the right decision by pursuing this route, (laughs) because that happens to a lot of us, doesn't it? You know, so to kind of get that kind of affirmation of awards must just be so encouraging. It must be incredible. Yeah, we sort of got to um, the second leg was um, the Theatre College was in in June and then the last one was in July. And it was in the June that I decided to quit my temp job with nothing to follow it. (laughs) All I knew was that um, I was going to go to Edinburgh with a community theatre group that I was involved in. You know, I wasn't getting paid. I was paying to go there. But I knew that I wanted the time and just the space to get to sort of explore new things. So, yeah, for sure, having having that sort of affirmation of, OK, you're, you're doing the right thing, I think, um, <laughs> which was, you know, it was really it was really, really great. And what was even better was to sort of um, I sort of finished that we went to Edinburgh, did a musical up in Edinburgh. It was the first time I'd gone. Um, and the musical was a, a Jack the Ripper musical by um, okay. uh, Leslie Ross and uh, James Williams. And it was super fun. You know, it was basically just doing a musical with my friends. I was in it and it was really, really fun. But I came back and I got two really, really great assisting jobs. I assisted on a site-specific piece in um, the Clink restaurant, which is the restaurant next to Cardiff Prison. So the Clink restaurant is like, uh, I think it's UK-wide, so there was this company called Paper Trail and uh, Bridget Keehan, who's the artistic director, she, um, she's been like a, a director in residence in prisons across the UK. And she'd obviously commissioned this piece then for three writers to write three stories about three of these men who were in prison. And it was like specific, so people paid and they came and they had a three-course meal and they watched these stories happen around them that were obviously portrayed by actors. But, um, you know, we had so many people come to us at the end and sort of go like, were they really in prison? Like, is that what we watched? And it was like, no, they're actors, but I'm very grateful that you thought that. That's, you know, we've sold the story. <laughs> um, but it was it was an incredible opportunity as someone who, you know, was very early in their career to get to work on something so exciting. And then I went into working with the other room who've sort of nurtured my career from from start to now, really. Um, They gave me my first assisting job, my first professional job. And I worked on a bilingual, uh, dark, dystopian piece called Hella. And that then went on tour and we got to take a bilingual piece to London and have like a seller audience for it in Theatre 503, which was amazing. Across the road from me. (laughs) Really? Um, Amazing theatre. Yeah, I think that's the last last place that I went to. I went and saw, so just to set the scene, it's tiny. It's a, you know, it's above a pub, isn't it? It's a really small kind of space. And I went to watch a piece called Meet There, probably like the 5th of March, 2020. 
and it was so tiny there was a few of us packed in and it was kind of that midpoint of the pandemic where people weren't so sure well prior to the pandemic people weren't so sure and there was one old man there with a mask yeah. on at the time I remember finding it so strange but now to have been in theatres since you know kind of big large-scale theatres with a mask on as well has been has been insane but you mentioned you mentioned the word community quite a few times which actually answers one of the questions that I've got written down because <laughs> um, I'm assuming it is quite important to you but I now want to kind of tie that idea into our artist advice for the week, which comes from Morgan Lloyd Malcolm, who is a playwright and a screenwriter. She's probably best known for her play Amelia, which was a hit back in 2018. She gave us a really detailed piece of advice, which we'll be putting on our Instagram page in full because it's just incredible. But this is what she had to say, and I want to share a few of the highlights. Connect with your local community and see what opportunities and partnerships there are to make. We don't know what making theatre will be like beyond the pandemic, so it's worth starting from a position of community and togetherness. Also, question your idea of what theatre is and what it's for. Of course, it's entertainment, but it should also be political and have the ability to change the societies we live in. Everyone deserves to work in an environment where they feel respected, nurtured and safe. If we all work together on this, we can make it the norm. Some incredible words there. Yeah, massively. Amazing. What I was going to ask <laughs> is, does community play a big role in your work? And it sounds like it definitely does. I mean, um, as I said sort of before, I've I've never felt the need to move from, from Cardiff, from Wales, because the theatre community here is really wonderful. You know, I think as with anywhere else, there's room for improvement, obviously. But I think the community aspect of it is incredible. Um, I also work with community youth theatre group called the Unknown Theatre Company and I, I went there when I finished university as a participant as someone who was you know in, involved in the theatre there but you know now over the pandemic myself and uh, another director called Kieran we've been running sessions with the group just to ensure that you know these young people and even the older participants are still having an opportunity to come together to create together to you know just even if it's just for the social aspect and they just talk about their day for an hour that's totally fine it's just to know that they've come together to talk about something but do you not think it's also a great way to meet other people from the community that aren't day-to-day creatives as their job and it's a great way to actually get a sense of what's going on because the artistic bubble can be quite like insular at times I think can't it and just to be able to feed into what other people are experiencing in a creative space is incredible yeah it's it's really great and I think there's a massive stigma between professional theatre and whether it's community theatre or amateur theatre and I honestly don't understand it I really really don't I could not agree more. I could not agree more as someone that grew up doing amateur theatre. And do you know what's really interesting? We've got so used to using this phrase amdram in the UK. It doesn't exist in America. Mm. Everything's community theatre in America. Like they don't use that term amateur. It's kind of like community level. And I think that's something that we could really benefit from adopting here. Yeah. To stop this kind of snobbery. There's this real sense of snobbery within what amateur theatre is. And I tell you what, I've seen some incredible people hold down a nine to five job and bang out some incredible performances yeah and it's because they love it and yeah I'm glad you I'm glad you said that no I think it's you know it's it's a massive thing and I think especially as someone who's sort of trying to get into musical theatre at the moment I've done loads of musical theatre whether that's directing or performing with this community theatre group you know we've done Little Shop of Horrors we've done The Sound of Music we've done sort of own written things as well but it's almost like there's this thing about 
you know, musical theatre or community theatre being like the poor person's theatre. And it's like, no, well, you know, to be honest, yeah, there are some people who sort of stay in it, whether they are from low socioeconomic backgrounds or whatever. But musical theatre, community theatre and, you know, amateur theatre, if that's what they want to call it, it's about that community and it's still creating work that's incredible. Constellations was a piece of community theatre and that went, you know, the other room sort of took a chance on me and sort of said, you know, we really want to support you. We'd love to put this in our Christmas um, season, which was the end of 2019. And, you know, there was that question of, okay, their sort of company value was about sort of it was a space for emerging artists. It was, you know, a space for new and exciting new writing and stuff like that. But there was a question about whether this piece of amateur or community theatre would fit the style of the theatre. And I just thought, well, just because it's, you know, it's got a little thing at the bottom saying this has been supported by Samuel French because we paid for the rights for it and we went through it that way. Doesn't mean that it's any less than, you know, a brand new theatre company coming together and creating something you know, it's exactly the same. It's just got a different label. I think it's really interesting. Um, when I think of sports, we're very keen to use the phrase grassroots and really support that when talking about semi-professional or amateur kind of sport. But we don't, yeah, we don't take the same approach towards theatre and it's quite a shame. But I want to talk about Bolshe, which is a creative collective that you've spearheaded and founded and in its own sense is a community, isn't it? It's a community of Welsh women creatives. Yes. You set that up in February 2020, I think, just before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. What was the reasoning and the driving force behind wanting to do it? Um. So, as I said earlier, I've been working since about 2018 and Apart from, I think, one or two projects that I'd worked on, everything had been male-led or the organisational institution had been male-led. And I just got to a point where I was like, I, I want to hear more women's stories and I want to have, you know, women mentors and I want their stories to be platformed. And I was on a train back from Bangor in North Wales after working on sort of a tour and there were incredible women in the team of that tour and we were sort of talking about stuff and about you know all the incredible women in our industry and I was saying like oh, I just really want to put them on the map more so because you know there's this there's a conversation there's a, a statistic I was talking to somebody about the other day I can't remember what the exact number is but it's like the number of women who won't apply for jobs because they don't fit one percent of the criteria and then this, uh, typically this, male yeah. applicants will apply for it, even if they only fit 1% of that criteria. And I just thought, oh, you know, I just want women to tell their stories and feel proud to tell their stories. Um, so I set it up um, sort of only sort of knowing my sort of small community of uh, women artists in Wales. And it's grown to be something that's been really, really wonderful. It sort of started off just doing like features on people, talking about what inspires them and, and what challenges them especially you know we were only sort of running about a month before covid happened and um when that did happen it sort of became it became a way of people to still tell their stories when something had been taken from them so you know uh, it was an opportunity for people to talk about their work when maybe they, they that platform had been taken away from them in terms of putting on work or you know putting on events and stuff and it's sort of grown now into, you know, I, I invested quite a lot into it. It's, you know, it's basically just me that's running it. I have two very wonderful associate artists, Gwanan and Tori. And one of the main reasons I brought them on was because I wanted to help them with their project. Um, 
And I wanted Balsy to be a space where, you know, creative women could come together and say that they have a project and they want to make it happen. And this community will find ways to make it together. They'll find different people. You know, you need a designer, we'll find one. You need a producer, we'll find one. And what's been really wonderful is having having more, more and more people nominate themselves to be featured. I think that's really wonderful, you know, wanting to uplift their own voices. But more and more, I'm seeing people say, you need to talk about this person, they're incredible. You need to talk about this person, they're incredible. And I was really fortunate to come into some funding. I'd applied for some funding from the Gain Trust uh, for personal development. And I knew that I wanted to run something. I wanted to create and curate like a series that would be beneficial to the Bolshe community and to, you know, obviously attract a wider audience. And um, I used uh, some of that and then some of uh, a freelancer funds that I got to basically curate uh, something called the Bold and Bolshe series, which is um, a series of nine free workshops and Q&As with Welsh and Wales based creative women leading it. So we've had composition, we've had uh, developing your multidisciplinary practice, uh, dealing with being self-employed, um, casting, got sort of a writer's Q&A coming up. There's a session of um, how to engage with blind and partially sighted audiences, creating a safe space. And all of these workshops are led by Welsh and Worlds-based creative women. And what's been really, really wonderful, I think, especially over the last year, we've all had an opportunity to sort of sit back and go to workshops and go to these online Q&As and learn from people. And I've been to a lot of them that have been male led or um, especially people who are sort of in a, in a space of authority led. And what's been just wonderful about this last series, we've just sort of finished the first week of it, is just to see how generous these women are, you know, with their time, with their experiences, with their network. Every single one of them at the end of these sessions just says, please talk to me if you have a project. Please talk to me if you want to talk about anything. And it's, I think that's been the whole reason was to create a community for Welsh and Wales based women to show them that they have a place, they have a voice and it's worth hearing. Um, I have a lot of hopes for, you know, what the future brings for it. And I hope that we can definitely do more once, once funding and being outside is a thing again. <laughs> but um, it's definitely been something that's massively helpful to me and to help me grow as an artist as well, to be more aware of who's around me as well. What I love about what you've done from kind of an outsider's perspective is that it seems to be really encompassing all different art forms as well. Like you mentioned, there's things for kind of musicians, theatre makers, writers, which is really important as well because at some point in a person's career they will need to find and link into all those different elements as well. Um, you also have Bolshe Beats, which is your kind of music wing to Bolshe, isn't it? And you've got a playlist, I think, of Welsh female creatives, women creatives. Um, where can we find that? Um, so it's on Spotify. So if you look at Bolshe Beats, so it's B-O-L-S-H-E and then Beats. Um, yeah, it was something I basically wanted to create this feature in a way that I could highlight musicians and bands that were either women led or, you know, solely women, because, you know, there's a massive there's a massive difference between, I think, the amount of uh, sort of showcasing there is for women or women fronted bands or women led musicians. So I just wanted to find a place for that. I think there's loads of wonderful organisations, especially uh, here in Wales. There's Ladies of Rage, which do an absolutely amazing job of platforming um, women artists as well. Um, so I think, you know, the sort of age of platforming women is definitely now. It seems to be, you know, growing massively. But, you know, as someone who's bilingual, I just thought I'm not engaging with, with these bilingual artists or with, you know, Welsh artists as much as I want to be. So 
So I sort of spent like about a week or a fortnight sort of just going through Spotify and just looking at all these incredible women. Mm. I found some people on there that I'd never heard of before. And, you know, they're right on my doorstep. And it's given me the opportunity to not only be able to platform them and their stories, but to start working with some of them. You know, I know um, like Marad uh, was on your podcast and I found Marad through Spotify. She's incredible. She's absolutely amazing. Her music is sensational. And sorry to just chip in there, but she, I think, kind of writes this, uh, this hybrid of Welsh and English and she really splits it so well. And it's all so accessible. I talked about that on the episode with her. And as a listener, it really started to make me question the music that I listen to and start to reach out and look for more foreign language, whether the correct phrase, um, music. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that's what's been, like I said, you know, doing things like whether it is that playlist or just featuring people, um, you know, the series of workshops that are, we've been doing. A lot of the people who ran the workshops or are about to run the workshops, I've never fully met in person before. So obviously, you know, one of the best things that's come out of this last year is getting to work with people that you might not have ever, you know, fully met personally before, but you can still connect with. But it's, you know, it's starting new collaborations. It's starting, you know, new projects with people who you might never have met before or connected with before. And it's it's just really exciting. And I, I just love how accessible it is as well, you know, to know that, you can just start talking to more people. You can just start talking to more organisations. They're being a little bit more open. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still, I think there's still a very long way to go in terms of, you know, the gatekeepers of our mm. industry and, and institutions in our industry. There's a long way to go for those to be accessible and welcoming enough to everyone in our community. But I definitely think there's been a start in the last year. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where that goes. What I noticed, I noticed an almost kind of testimonial on your website from someone that said, as a proud Welsh woman who doesn't speak the Welsh language, she's really proud to be taking part in the project. And it really made me start to think, I suppose there's lots of questions around kind of national identity and things like that for people who don't necessarily speak the Welsh language. So I bet it was really important for you to include Welsh people from both kind of language yeah. perspectives yeah and I think um especially sort of just on a face value sort of way of looking at it Wales sort of tends to get looked at as you know people from the valleys people who speak Welsh Gavin and Stacey tends to be their only sort of viewpoint of Wales a lot of the yeah. time yeah. but Wales is full of incredible people and it's full of different communities and cultures you know there's an incredible Somali community in Cardiff where people speak English Welsh Somali and there's those types of communities all over Wales. There's not one specific kind of Welsh person. There's people who can read Welsh, but maybe they can't speak Welsh. There's people who know how to say Shemai or, you know, or, you know, they can speak little bits and pieces of Welsh and that's fine. That's their version of a Welsh person. You could be, you know, you could have moved here from Connecticut. You could have moved here from Scotland. You could have moved here from anywhere and you could have lived here for half an hour or half a century. And you can call yourself a Welsh person if that's what you believe that you are. And I think that's what I love about Wales is that I've never sort of settled in one place in Wales for a massively extended period of time. I was born in a, in West Wales. I grew up in the valleys. I went to university in Aberystwyth and I now live in Cardiff. You know, it's Wales is my home. And I think that's what I find really important is just knowing that that Wales is a place for anyone. And, you know, it's, it's just important that we see those different voices. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to in Welsh theatre. And I think theatre across the UK in general, but obviously this is my sort of uh, little bubble of it, yeah, go for is it. Um, sort of seeing 
you know, things come from Theatre Gennadlethal Cymru or from National Theatre Wales or the Sherman or Theatre Cloyd um, and other sort of organisations in Wales and just seeing those stories that haven't been put on stage yet. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a Welsh version of the Cherry Orchard. Let's see that, you know, that story from that Somali community. Let's see that story from refugees that are in Pembrokeshire at the moment. Let's see those stories and let those people tell their stories. It's not about taking them and and putting them on stage. It's getting them into our buildings, getting them as a part of the framework. Let's see one of those people as an artistic director in Wales. Let's see Welsh people as artistic directors in Wales. You know, I think, yeah, there's a long way to go, but I'm very excited to see where it does go. I don't want to add too much to it, but like you said, let's see Welsh people leading Welsh creative organisations. I mean, it's not necessarily the same, but I know in Scotland recently, the National Theatre Scotland cast a play without any Scottish people in it. And you just think, how? How are you doing that? But we've talked quite a lot about lots of other people and we're coming towards the end of the conversation and we've we've probably not talked too much about your journey so far as much as we have my other guests. So I do apologise oh, for that. But I want to end it on a final question, which is quite reflective and allows you to reflect on your journey so far in your answer. So if you could go back and give yourself advice when you first started pursuing a creative career, what would it be? Oh, um... I think just based on what I've learned from the last year is that just not to be afraid, especially as an early career artist or an emerging artist or anyone that's starting something new, there's this fear that you have to have everything right, that you have to, you know, have all the answers or have all the solutions to things. I've gone into countless interviews and um, sort of projects or, you know, applied for things where I've tried to mould myself to fit that organisation or fit that project, where I think what I tell myself is to just present myself as myself. I've gotten much further just being myself and just, you know, being honest and transparent about things, you know, saying, okay, maybe I don't know this skill, but I'm going to learn it. And that's, that's fine. And knowing that, you know, there is no perfect start to any career. The perfect start is when you decide to start it. Mm. You know, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have gone to drama school. You know, I didn't go to drama school. I didn't go down that route. I grew up with community theatre, school theatre, and then did a degree in film, and now I work in theatre. So, you know, it wasn't exactly what I expected it to be. But I think, you know, there's people who who work in an office for 30 years of their life and then decide that they want to work in theatre. That's fine. You know, just do it when you want to do it and and do it as, as confidently as you can and be as proud of where you came from as you can. You know, you can be someone who's from a small town in the valleys and succeed or you can be someone from a big city and succeed just be honest and just do what feels right for you really and it's also okay to be proud of where you're from and also question it as well at times is equally important yeah but alice thank you so much i think you'll have brought so much insight into the podcast and when people are listening they'll be really able to get a sense of what you do and the worlds that you're really keen to represent so thank you so much thank you for having me I want to say a huge thanks to Alice for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to check out Bolshi on Instagram and the Bolshi Beats playlist on Spotify. Don't forget to follow us at Starts and Grafts on Twitter and Instagram. I've been your host, Connor. Ella's been your producer. And we'll be back again with another episode next week. But until then, take care.